do spend an hour in prayer. I've never gotten up from that and just felt like, well, man, that was I could have been doing a hundred other more useful things than that. Uh, in fact, I when I when I do set aside the large chunks of time for prayer, they are very meaningful. They're very powerful, and I've seen God answer prayer. I've, I've seen God answer prayer during COVID. Very specific prayers during COVID. Uh, there are others He hasn't answered yet, but I'm I'm praying for them. I'm pleading for Him to to answer those prayers. Um, and I think you know what I realized, and I said this during the Lord's Prayer message, but I wonder if if that, that pressure between what we know prayer is in scripture and maybe have some personal experience with as well. And that, that tension to not, the, the, the pull to, to, to not press into prayer, the pull to, to doubt its efficacy, the pull to, to not uh, believe that it's the most important thing we could do or one of the single most important things we could do as a Christian. Um, I, I wonder if that tension right there in the middle is not where Satan is living. Right, that Satan is uh, it, it, knowing that prayer moves the kingdom of God. Prayer uh, is after the heart of God in our lives and in our world. And and based on what we're going to read today, there are some crazy promises that go along with prayer and what God will do through prayer. Wouldn't it be then one of Satan's chief strategies to keep God's people from praying? And how would he do that except to make them think it doesn't work? except to make them think that what they're doing out here is actually maybe most important and more important than actual prayer um, or to, to struggle with coming before God because of shame or coming before God uh, because of fear. What if that's where Satan is actually spending his energy in your life and my life? And it's keeping us from experiencing the power of God in our lives and our ministries and our world. Um, that, was, that was a deeply troubling revelation that in fact, what's actually happening is spiritual battle. Prayer is spiritual battle, but as long as Satan can keep us from praying, he's already won the battle, right? He's keeping us from from making use of one of the single most powerful weapons along with the gospel and faith, right? I mean, prayer is up there with those and intertwined with those. Uh, But Satan has said, like, I'm gonna remove that weapon And then they're going to go try to do a lot of things on their own. And they're going to get disappointed, which is going to lead them to not pray more because they prayed about that thing once and it didn't happen. So let's balance that, listen to that. Uh, as we as we go through this passage today, and I, my hope is that what Jesus promises us in this passage, and this is a command with a promise, which is pretty awesome, because Jesus doesn't just command us; He commands us to do something, and then gives us a promise. And my hope is that today this this teaching becomes a joyful impetus for us a joyful impetus for us to pray, to seek after the heart of God, not, not just once, but, but constantly, relentlessly, deliberately, with boldness and conviction. Let's listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, and then um, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I ask you, uh, encourage you to uh, join me and say, thanks be to God. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? 
This is the word of the Lord. So what we see here is a a command, a condition, and a contrast. So the command is clear. It's a shocking command. Ask, seek, and knock. It's a command for us. Jesus invites us to pray uh, through this threefold prayer of asking and seeking and knocking. These are in the imperative in the original language, meaning they are a command. They're not a suggestion. They're they're not uh, just uh, sort of describing something. They are, in fact, telling you to ask, to seek, and to knock. And they are each in the present tense form, uh, uh, what's, what in the original language is called the present continuous version of uh, uh, tense. And so it is, it is literally Jesus saying, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. What an what a, a, a incredible emphasis here that there's a, and, and there's a parallel here. He's, he's, it's very intentional, the, the, the asking, seeking, knocking, the language is parallel. And when, whenever that happens in the, uh, the, the Greek or in the Hebrew, there's an emphasis here. It's trying to drive something home for us. It's, it, if it was typed out, it'd be in bold. Or if it was in text, if Jesus was texting this to us, it would be in all caps and there'd be emojis on both ends and maybe a gift thrown in at the end, right? Um, it is intense. He's trying to get our attention here, and it's progressive. If you listen, if you if you look at each of these verbs, ask implies reaching out about a conscious need, something you're aware of. Uh, it also suggests humility because this word "ask" was often used of an inferior asking an, uh, uh, someone who was above them, a superior, about something or for something. The next uh, step, seek, involves asking but adding action. So this is more than just saying, "Hey God, would you do this for me?" It's 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 pursuing that. So if if it's a job, it's saying, "God, I'm going to ask. I'm going to I'm going to seek this job. Um, you know, I I, I want to find this job." So the person who says, "You know, God, give me a job," but they don't look for one and they don't you know seek one. So now you're saying, "God, I want to seek this job. Uh, help me seek this job." You're 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 pursuing it. And then the word knock actually brings the idea of acting plus persevering. It's going literally to the door and knocking on the the door of uh, whatever it is you you're you're wanting from God and and seeking that uh, fully. And this is a calling, not a com- uh, this is not a calling but a commandment, which means we're meant to get after it. Don't stop. Don't let up. Uh, the New Testament reinforces this idea of praying over and over again. Paul says, uh, pray without ceasing. In uh, another place, he says, labor with me in prayer. To the Colossians, he said, continue steadfastly in prayer with being watchful in it. To the Ephesians, he said, pray at all times in the spirit. And what's crazy about this is asking, seeking, knocking, this relentless, continuous, deliberate, confident, bold action in prayer gets answered. Look at what Jesus says. He, he, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. In other words, what Jesus is teaching us here is there is something, something about following his command by faith that says, listen, listen, God, the first time I asked for this, you didn't give it to me. The second time you haven't given it to me. The third time, I'm gonna keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep knocking. I believe you can answer. I believe you will answer. And it is that deliberate, continual devotion to prayer and to asking God for those things where God says, you will get the answer. You will get answered. 
Jesus tells some parables actually to illustrate this point. So it's not just his teaching to ask, seek, knock, but he actually tells some parables. And one of them is in, uh, in Luke chapter 11, where the, it's a parallel passage to this one in Matthew 7, has the exact same language, ask, seek, and knock. But right before it, Jesus says in Luke eleven five through 8, and he says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in me and with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what's Jesus trying to teach us here? He's... how much, if, if this man gets, will get out of his bed, not because he likes him, because he's his friend, but because the man is so deliberate, how much more will God who loves you, God who is for you, give to you when you ask and you seek and you knock? But is this how you and I pray? Is this how we pray? Or are we quick to say, oh, okay, God, you know, I prayed for that thing and you have, clearly haven't answered it. Do we pray for something once or twice and give up? Or do we pursue? Are we deliberate? Are we consistent in asking God? What if what God is doing in this moment in in calling us to pray this way has less to do with, with, you know, okay, well, I'll do it 11 times and then God will do it, or I'll do it 22 times and then God will do it. But that actually in the process of God going to answer, promising to answer uh, our prayers, that he is actually building our faith at the same time. He's building our faith because we come believing that he can answer and we come again believing he can answer and we come again believing he can answer and we come again believing he can answer. And I have met people in my lifetime who have prayed for 20 years for someone to meet Jesus, for someone who was far from God to be brought into God's family. And you know what happened? They saw it eventually. I know very, very few people that have prayed for decades for someone where that person never comes to faith. It seems to be God's will that when someone will Make it a deliberate, consistent effort to say, God, I want you to do this. I long for you to do this. I know you want to do this. Will you do it, please? And and do that consistently. That God is honored and God will answer in time. A missionary and college president once wrote, Are we not weak in impact for God because we are weak in time spent with God? Maybe. One of the reasons we don't see the power of God at work in our lives like we want to, like we long to, or like we see in scripture is because we are not seeking God in that way. We, we throw up a prayer here or there. We, we spend a couple of minutes reading his word, uh, but we're not being deliberate This is one of the reasons why I think it's important to have a prayer list of things that you're praying for. And and I I journal those out in my my personal journal. And it's awesome to get to go back and see, yeah, God didn't answer all of them, but he did answer some of them. He did things that I couldn't do. He did things that I I couldn't make happen. So that's the command. It's a shocking command, ask, seek, knock. But then we also see here an important condition. 
an important condition, that you are a child and God is your father. That's the the underlying uh, picture here is that you're asking, seeking, knocking is not this disinterested God in the sky, but a God who is your father. The way we are told to pursue asking, seeking, and knocking is remarkably similar to the way a child seeks after something from their parent, right? Like, like as a parent, when you, when you have a piece of candy in your pocket and your child knows you have that piece of candy, they, can I have it? No. Can I have it now? No. Can I have it in like five minutes? No. A couple of minutes later. What about now? Can I have it now? No. Do you still have the candy? Yes. Can I, can I look at it? Now, can I hold it for a minute? I just want to hold it, right? <laughs> that's, that's such a way a child's mind works. Th- th- once they know something is there and they really, really want it, they're going to keep asking you as a parent, right? And, and sometimes, yeah, you don't give it to them the first time. It's, it's not the right moment or whatever. You give it to them later. What kind of God are we dealing with that says... Ask me again. Keep asking me. Bug me. Come knock on my door, right? Keep seeking. Keep coming after me, right? Ask me again. Now, as a, as a parent, I never looked at my kids once and said, ask me again, as a hopeful promise to them that if they ask me again, they will get it. No, it's a a subtle threat. Ask me again. Ask me again, and I will make sure it's my personal mission in life to use my time, my energy, and my resources to make sure you never, ever receive this. I may have said that once or twice as a parent. It wasn't perfect, okay, so don't, don't judge me. I know all we have is perfect parents watching right now. But we can't miss this here, right? Don't don't miss what God is doing here. God is not annoyed when you ask again. He calls you, he commands you to ask again. He commands you to ask again because asking again uh, stirs faith in your heart to go to the Father, believing he can't answer your prayer. And indeed, I would argue the only reason he isn't answering it in this moment is because it's not the ultimate good in this moment. It might be, in fact, teaching you to persevere in faith. It might, in fact, be teaching you to, to endure because the day that, that he answers your prayer becomes a deeper, more, more beautiful joy after you have persevered with God, walked with God, trusting him, but continually asking him and seeking him. Now, some of you struggle to think of God as your father because your earthly father, right? Your, your earthly father was was far from perfect, he, or, or he hurt you, or he, he was absent, or whatever it was. And so for you to think of, of God as your father is, is difficult. Um, but, but God is, is the father that we all long for. God is the father that we know if our, how our earthly fathers failed by, right? The reason, you know, you never meet someone who grew up in a home where their earthly father was terrible, and they grew up and came out and said, I had a really great dad. My dad was awesome. No, they know, they know that their father was a failure. They know their father hurt them. They know their father let them down. Why? Because they have an idea of what the father is meant to be. And that idea is perfected in our heavenly father. What does it mean to have God as your father? The Bible teaches us it means you are loved. 
1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Your fa- another uh, another um, fact that it means is that your father has compassion on you. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It also means your father will, will give you fullness of life. Luke 12, 32, fear not little children, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So the father loves you. He's brought you into his family through Jesus. He has compassion on you, meaning he sees you. He sees what you're enduring. He sees what you're suffering through. He sees what you are experiencing and he has compassion. He's a compassionate father. But then he also has this plan, this promise to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure, which means he delights in giving you the fullness of life that the kingdom brings. This is what it means. These are just three verses showing us what it means to have God as our earthly, as our heavenly father. So why don't we embrace this in prayer? One of the reasons is our skepticism. And, and this is really hard to, 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 hard to look at because it is the water we're swimming in. It's like a, asking a fish to reflect on water. Uh, we swim in a, in, a, in a culture in the West here uh, especially in an academic environment where where scientific materialism or scientific naturalism has been elevated to uh, an all-encompassing worldview. In other words, everything, not just some things, but literally everything, all truth, all knowledge is gained through, through, through scientific wisdom, right? Through scientific method. Um, but the problem is that it has left us when when science, uh, which is a good gift of God, becomes the all encompassing worldview for understanding and looking at the world. Uh, it pushes God off the throne and it removes the supernatural. You see, we have what what philosophers call uh, plausibility structures. Uh, every culture has them, and, and what the plausibility structures are are that are basic underlying ideas in our culture that shape things without being spoken. So they shape things and how we look at things and understand things without being spoken. It's how we structure our world, how we make sense of it. And, and in the West, we have an anti-supernatural plausibility structure. Let me give you an example. If I told you right now that uh, I, I met someone that was, was cured of cancer, that had you know, stage four cancer, and it was gone. Would your first reaction be, man, God is amazing. Look at that. God, those people prayed for them and God healed them. Or would it be, wow, you know, it's amazing what we're teaching the human body to do now. And like, you know, someday we'll have an explanation for what happened scientifically. Are you, are you skeptical when you hear about miracles? Are you, are you skeptical when you hear about significant changes or significant answers to prayer? You still in the back of your mind go, yeah, I mean, that was probably God, but, you know, also it just kind of go to, you know, chances are that might have happened. You know, somebody wins the lottery. And, and what I'm saying is the, that, that skepticism that, that, that we have there is, is it creeps into our prayer life, creeps into the way we look at the, 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 what God is doing. Is it any wonder, though, that as we've grown up, we've lost our wonder of God? We've lost our awe of God and what he can and, and, and does do in the world around us. 
When was the last time you prayed to God as your father like this, that you prayed in awe of what he could do? And do you know the greatest object lesson for what God can do in this world? It's not a miracle of someone being healed of cancer. It's not a miracle of someone uh, lame walking again. It's not someone receiving their sight or, or you know, some uh, random check arriving in the mail just in time when you needed it most. The greatest miracle that you have ever witnessed if you're a Christian is the fact that you are a Christian, that God saved you. Because if you don't see it rightly, even in this text, Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your father in heaven? He says, you who are evil, we as human beings are evil and God has redeemed us. Jesus has given us new life, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? And he has done that in your life. And that's why you're never to get over being saved. You're never to get over that. Paul never did over the miracle of what Jesus has done in you. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you have it all together. Doesn't mean you, 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 you're somehow this super saint now. It does mean, however, that Christ lives in you, that he has redeemed you, that he has given you life. That's how we are to pray. And Hebrews 4.16 captures this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can have confidence and boldness before the throne of God. How do you do that? You do that because you, not because you think you're worthy, not because you think you're awesome, but because you have been redeemed by Christ and you look at Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now and know that when you come into his presence, the Father's not gonna go, but you blew it this week. Look what you've done. No, Jesus is there. The, the one who has accounted for all of your sin, who has paid for all of it. He is literally the testimony of your redemption, that you are holy in the Father's sight now. And you're not only to come reluctantly, or you're not to come reluctantly, you're not to come in this fear and trepidation, but boldly asking, seeking, knocking. Not because you're worthy, but because the Father invites you and because Christ has redeemed you. Let's land on this final, final point of a comforting contrast. The contrast here is that God is way better than even the best earthly father. So God's pictured as a father who wants to give his kids gifts. And Jesus assures us that this is true with an illustration of, from earthly fatherhood. He says in verse 9 and 10, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for uh, fish, will give him a serpent? This illustration is deliberately absurd. Um, this, those that were listening to the Sermon on the Mount were listening from uh, the Sea of, were, were in the area of the Sea of Galilee, and they were familiar with uh, the 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 the, the uh, stones that were on the the shores of the Sea of Galilee that had been rush, uh, rough down, smoothed down by by the by the waves and, and the water, and so they were they were about this big, and they were about that thick, and they were like shaped like cakes, and so you could see this you know malicious father who whose child asked for cake and hands him a, a, a stone and kind of laughs at them, right? Uh, you know, or, or even there, there were eels that were eaten. And, and, uh, and you can imagine that, that when, when, you know, someone, a child would ask for a fish or, or an eel, that, that God would give them, or the father would give them a serpent, a snake that would bite them and, 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 and hurt them. And he, he's picturing this saying, earthly parents don't do this. Earthly fathers don't do this. This is, this is how much more will your heavenly father 
give good gifts to those who ask him. This visual answer is to help us see God's heart, but also why he doesn't answer prayer, right? Always the way that we want. So God always answers according to our need, the bread, but he doesn't always answer the way we want. You know, if your child wants breakfast uh, and you get up and you give them breakfast every morning and they, uh, you know, you might give them eggs or you might give them, uh, you know, waffles or even a piece of bread, but but you don't necessarily uh, give them chocolate cake because they ask for it every morning. Why? As a parent, you you know what's best for them. So you don't give that to them in that moment. Now, as a parent, once in a while, you can give your kids chocolate cake for breakfast. You can. You can because it's in your power to do it. And, you, and one day is not going to hurt them, right? One, one breakfast of chocolate cake is okay. But you know that that's not what they need to live on. And so while you would sometimes give them what you want, you always, or what they want, you always give them what they need. There's not a moment, any moment of any day, of any hour, of, of any day, hour of any day, that the Father is in heaven not waiting for you to come, listening for you to ask and seek and knock. The question is, will you pray that way? Will you pray with boldness? Will you pray for your needs? Yes, your needs, your earthly needs, not just food, shelter, clothing, but you need good relationships. You need support around you. You need work. You need you need to not be led into temptation. There are needs, right? And God wants to hear those things. God wants you to hear, hear you pray for the needs of others, not just basic needs, but praying for justice, praying for, for, for healing, praying for, uh, for, for people to experience God's presence, for people to be saved, to be brought into God's family, redeemed from the power of sin and under the power of Satan. He wants us to pray for maturity, pray for holiness, for, uh, pray for growth in our faith and wisdom and knowledge of God's word. Pray that we would serve others. Pray for growth in generosity. And then he does, I think he wants us to pray for our wants. I do, I do. I don't think the father is simply like, hey, only come to me with those things that you really, really need. No, I think God wants to bless his kids. So it's okay to pray for a spouse. If you're single, it's okay to pray for uh, a a new car. It's okay to pray for a new job. It's okay to pray for uh, a a home or for financial stability. God is your father. And, And seeking him and asking for that from him, knowing that if he's withholding it, it's for a good purpose. But but also saying, you know what? You can give that to me, and I'm gonna trust that I'm gonna ask for it, and I'm gonna trust you that you will in time, if it's your good pleasure to give it to me. As we enter this Advent, or we're in this Advent season of waiting and in the middle of COVID and all of that, I know there's some longings in each of us. We're, we're, we're feeling disconnected. We're feeling alone. Some of us are just feeling discouraged, uh, even afraid of, of what's next. And the Father is inviting you to come, to ask, seek, and knock. He's not holding back. He's not hiding himself. He's He's saying, come, ask, seek, knock, get on your knees, plead with me. Come after it. I will give it to you. I will give you what you need. And I want to encourage you to pray that way. Even now, as I close this message, take the time to pray and go after God's heart. And then tomorrow, do the same. And the next day, do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to come before you and
confidence and boldness and approach your throne of grace and that you, you're not, you don't resent us when we ask repeatedly. You don't resent us when we seek constantly. You don't, you're not bothered when we knock relentlessly. But you invite us, you command us to do that. You are delighted when your children will come in that way. So help us, help us to pray. Help us to find that joy, the joyful impetus to pray, being to draw near your throne of grace that we may receive help in our time of need. In your name we pray, amen.